It has now been two months since the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic for COVID-19. This week, Governor Ralph Northam unveiled details for the first phase of a plan to slowly reopen Virginia's economy. This virus is still with us. It has not gone away. It has no cure and no vaccination to date, and we may be living with it for months or even years. It's now been nearly two months since a state of emergency was declared to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. The world has changed and the bills are beginning to come due. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, we've had over half a million people file for unemployment in Virginia. This is the Charlottesville Quarantine Report from May 10th, 2020. And in this show, lots of details on Forward Virginia, as well as information from regional governments. One thing that we're all going to be wanting to talk about is how we as a region are going to be approaching the post-COVID situation. Let's get some quick updates on information before we get started. Virginia's death toll from COVID-19 now stands at 839, according to data released Sunday by the Virginia Department of Health. The cumulative number of cases in the Commonwealth is 24,981. There have been 345 total cases in the Thomas Jefferson Health District, with two new cases reported on Sunday. There have been 13 fatalities, but none so far this month. The University of Virginia has established a new research fund to encourage development of new approaches to dealing with COVID-19. The Manning Fund is intended to support practically-oriented research on COVID-19-related topics that can be acted upon quickly or have commercialization potential. That last bit from the press release. The fund was started through a $1 million donation from local entrepreneur Paul Manning, and the first deadline for applications is this upcoming Friday, May 15th. A local hotline established to help connect people with financial resources has stopped taking new requests. The COVID-19 helpline, powered by the Charlottesville Area Community Foundation, has helped distribute over $2.4 million to more than 3,500 households in the region. Continued help is available through the website. If you still need any sort of financial help, check out supportseville.com and see what they have to offer. On Friday, May 8th, Governor Ralph Northam went through the details of the first phase of opening up businesses. At the outset, he noted that the first positive case was identified on March 9th, two months ago. Two months ago, we were figuring out how to rearrange our lives uh, and our society to keep people safe. Businesses and many state employees moved to teleworking. We closed schools and banned elective surgeries. We put restrictions on non-essential retail, moved our restaurants to takeout and delivery, and closed entertainment venues, hair salons, and other personal services. Back then, we had one blunt tool, shutting everything down. Two months later, and Northam has confidence in the ability of Virginia's health system to respond to further cases of COVID-19. For two months now, new numbers come out daily from the Virginia Department of Health and the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association that are being used to make decisions. Our hospitals have not been overwhelmed, and it bought us time to build up our toolbox. We have a steady supply of PPE for our health workers, and we now believe that this is sustainable. We are continuing to ramp up our testing 
For example, this week we'll be testing more than 1,500 people in the community on Virginia's eastern shore. We are preparing to hire roughly 1,000 contact tracers. We have approximately 325 contact tracers through the Department of Health right now. These additional tools paired with health data metrics are informing our decisions about what restrictions to ease and when we can safely do that. The transition steps are written down in a document known as Forward Virginia, which will feature three phases that will be entered into depending on how well hospitals are able to keep up with COVID-19 patients. That means the number of ventilators, for instance. Northam said that he is hoping to be able to launch phase one on Friday, May 15th, but that will require trends to remain steady. I want to reassure Virginians, we are not opening the floodgates here. We're not flipping a light switch from closed to open. When the time is right, we will turn a dimmer switch up just a notch. The reality is that the virus is still in our communities, and we need to continue our vigilance and social distancing, hand washing, and wearing of face protection when we're out and about. One data trend required for Phase 1 to move forward is the percentage of positive tests compared to the total number of tests. Another is the number of hospitals reporting shortages of PPE. PPE stands for Personal Protective Equipment. Northam went through a series of slides with all of this information at the press conference, and I encourage everyone to watch the video. Northam said Phase 1 will look a lot like what has been going on, with some exceptions. We will still encourage anyone who can telework to do so. The 10-person limit on gatherings will remain. We encourage everyone to wear face coverings when they are out and about, around other people, in the public. The stay-at-home order will become a safer-at-home order. That means that while there are a few more places to go, everyone should still only go there as needed and otherwise stay home as much as possible. People who are more at risk due to age or health conditions should also still stay at home as much as possible. Everyone should keep up social distancing, staying six feet away from other people outside of their home. Restaurants will be able to serve patrons, but only if they are sitting at outdoor tables. Non-essential retail can increase the number of customers can be in the store at any one time. Entertainment and public amusement venues will remain closed in phase one. Gyms and fitness centers have been closed. In phase one, we'll allow outdoor classes with limitations. Beaches are currently open for only exercise and fishing. That will remain the case in phase one. Beaches at our state parks will remain open for exercise and fishing only, consistent with our public beaches. Looking forward, we are setting a high bar to ease beach restrictions. It will require a comprehensive and sustainable plan for cleaning, social distancing, education, and enforcement. Churches have not met in nearly two months, a time that covers several religious holidays. Our faith communities play a special role in the lives of their members and in our communities. During the past two months, our places of worship have had a 10-person limit, 
with drive-in services allowed and encouraged. In phase one, drive-in services may continue and services may be held inside at 50% capacity. Hair salons and barbers can open in phase one if they have measures in place to ensure physical distancing and that everyone wears a face mask. So the good news today is if all of this goes into effect a week from today, we can all get our hair cut by our barber or our hairstylist. Private campgrounds have been closed. In phase one, they may open with restrictions on distance between campsites. State parks have been open for day use only. In phase one, we'll slowly open for tent camping, RVs, and then cabins. And that won't happen immediately. Northam said that phase one will last for a minimum of two weeks and possibly longer, depending on how the data tracks. For the past few weeks, the governor has said that he does not want different parts of the state to be treated differently, but his comments suggested that might change slightly under phase one. I know some communities may choose to go more slowly, particularly in northern Virginia, where they may not feel their communities are ready to go to phase one just yet. I have said that phase one restrictions will be a floor, not a ceiling and local governments to consult with our administration about stricter regulations. I want to emphasize that the business operations listed may open if they meet the requirements. If they're not able to meet these restrictions, they must remain closed. No business is required by the state to be open. In producing this show, I have been fielding questions from many people who do not feel it is safe to return to work. While not everyone believes there is a serious health risk, others do and have valid concerns. Northam took up the issue on Friday. I understand that many workers at these businesses are eager to get back to work. But I also understand that there are workers who are afraid to go back right now because they or their loved ones have underlying health conditions or are part of vulnerable populations. I want to assure those workers We are going to do everything possible to protect you. The restrictions on business operations such as distancing and masks are meant to protect workers as much as customers. Yesterday, I spoke with our congressional delegation and asked them to take steps so that the federal government allows states more flexibility with unemployment benefits. I also want to assure Virginia's workers that if you feel your workplace is unsafe because it is not following the rules, please report that to our Department of Labor and Industry, also referred to as DALI, and that they will investigate. We're also working to find every path forward for people who cannot return to work because of their own underlying health conditions or those of people that they live with. We will have more to say on this before entering phase one. I want to reiterate that our next steps are informed by our health data. I also want Virginians to continue to be careful and cautious. Forward Virginia also depends on the ability of Virginia to ramp up the number of COVID-19 tests that can be performed each day. That is critical to being able to trace how the coronavirus is spreading throughout the state and the individual health districts within the state. Dr. Clifford Deal is the president of the Medical Society of Virginia. 
As we know, the next phase of addressing this pandemic is a commitment to increasing the availability and capacity for testing. The Medical Society is excited to partner with VDH to work together to assure healthcare providers across the Commonwealth can access the resources they need to test patients. We are lucky enough to have a physician as our governor, and as Governor Lim knows, when we empower physicians, we empower patients. The governor's office and VDH have consistently reached out to Virginia's, Virginia's physician community for their expertise during this crisis. And the same applies here. How can a family doctor in Danville send a test to a lab? How can we get more swabs? What tests are approved or are not approved? MSV is conducting a needs assessment of Virginia's physicians and trying to find out all the logistical barriers to move us forward. BDH will then take that information and provide answers as well as create educational and training opportunities for providers in the days and weeks ahead. One of the metrics to get to future phases of Forward Virginia is the ability to get testing capacity up to 10,000 units a day. Dr. Karen Remley served as Virginia's health commissioner from 2010 to 2013, and she has been called back into public service to be co-chair of a working group that's trying to make testing more frequent and efficient. When are we going to get to 10,000? I can't give you an exact day, but I would hope by the end of next week we will have, we know we have the lab capacity now in terms of laboratories that can do the tests that are done in Virginia. We need to continue to work on those other things we talked about, making sure patients know where they can go to get a test, um, regardless of where they come from. So we're working, had calls today with, again, with um, drugstores to try and expand testing there. We're working very closely with the free clinics, the federally qualified health centers, and as Dr. Deal said, with um, the physicians of Virginia who are in primary care and in other practices to make sure we get the right combination of testing supplies, PPE, and they know where to send those tests and then when those results come back. Every day, there's another new um, nuance to fix for a different group, and so that's what we're doing. And you can see, if you look at the, it's down now, we're just slowly but surely moving our way up that curve towards 10,000. But um, I would hope, um, my hope, is that by the end of next week, that'll be a consistent number that we will be able to reach, knowing that there will be days, weekend days sometimes, days when, you know, just because of the vagaries that you won't hit that every single day, but you'll also exceed that many days. So, you know, our goal is to make sure that every patient that has symptoms of COVID that wants to be tested has that opportunity to be tested, but just as importantly that the clinical community, including pharmacists, doctors, and all other clinicians that might do testing, have the right combination of supplies, PPE, and knowledge about how to test so that we can really maximize that effort. Each press conference allows for reporters across the state to ask questions about what's going on. Let's go through some of the ones from the May 8th press conference. One reporter asked what might happen if the trends go back to a more negative trajectory. The question is if there's a surge in some of the numbers in our data moving forward, could, could we bring back or continue some of the restrictions that were in place prior to moving into phase one? And the answer to that is... Uh, absolutely uh, yes. Um, you know, I, I have said from the beginning that this is a, a dynamic, uh, uh, fluid process. Uh, it literally changes. The data changes uh, by the hour, by the day, sometime, and and uh, we are following that data very, very closely. Uh, but should these numbers uh, go in directions that we're not comfortable with, then obviously we'll we'll be able to or need to make uh, adjustments in in our restrictions. The past two months have taken a toll on the economy. That's meant a lot of people are out of work. 
You might have seen data this week that said that the unemployment figures are the highest they've been in a generation. Here's Megan Healy, Governor Northam's chief workforce advisor. Uh, thank you so much. And so since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, we've had over a half a million people file for unemployment in Virginia, and that is a high number. And we've had two different programs for unemployment, the usual unemployment program that we've always had, and then we've expanded eligibility for independent contractors, gig workers. And we've had over 70,000 independent contractors and gig workers move through our pandemic unemployment assistance program. So it's very exciting. We've also increased uh, the weekly benefits as well as expanded the time that someone can be on benefits. And so this week was the first time that we released benefits to those gig workers, independent contractors, as well as anyone who didn't qualify for the basic unemployment. So I know uh, that number seems very high, but many, many people are receiving their benefits. And if they did not receive their benefits, we are ramping up staff uh, for to increase our appeals and our adjudication process. You're listening to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for May 10th, 2020. If you're interested in being on this program, or if you have a story you'd like to tell, please contact us by sending an email to wordcast at gmail.com. This is not a commercial venture, and it is simply a public service for you to listen to so you can become informed. That's the point of all of this, right? We'll be right back with more from Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's press briefing on Forward Virginia. Welcome back to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. I'm Sean Tubbs, the creator of the Charlottesville Podcasting Network. Let's go back to Governor Northam's press conference on Friday, May 8th, and hear more of the question and answer period from Virginia's journalists. Uh, Hello, Governor. Um, Going back to the phase one restrictions on businesses, uh, we've spoken to restaurants and gym owners who were hopeful that they would be able to open their doors during this phase one. Um, when I'm looking at these restrictions, you're allowing a lot of people into retail stores uh, at 50% capacity. You're allowing churches to fill every other pew. Um, can you speak to why restaurants and gyms are still uh, kept outside and not able to open their doors? Yeah, the question is why the decision on restaurants to continue uh uh, order out uh, home delivery and and now to expand and, and be able to serve uh, outdoors with uh, 50% capacity uh, restrictions. We have had a tremendous amount of discussion uh, with our restaurant owners. Uh, a lot of their uh, input uh, we have listened to and taken into account and, and collectively uh, we have made that decision. Um, and so rather than uh, relitigate that here, 
uh, that's the decision that we make. That's what we feel is in the best interest of uh, Virginians. That's what will keep them as safe as possible and also keep the employees of those restaurants safe as well. So um, as I said earlier, um, this is phase one. Uh, we anticipate uh, phase one lasting for two, maybe more weeks. But uh, if we can continue to uh, see these data, the numbers trend downward uh, more uh, in, a, in a positive direction, then hopefully after two, two weeks we'll be able to go into phase two. And, and then that would allow uh, individuals to come into restaurants, dine in, uh, again, probably with a 50 percent capacity, table spaced out for, uh, at six feet. Um, but for phase one, uh, we're allowing outside dining only. Yes, sir. Governor, for those who um, never really favored these restrictions, um, let's say we move forward and things start to open, and people get a sense of getting back to their normal lives, yes. but then we get some spikes and they have to go back and you have to shut the state down. There are those out there who say, we're never going back. Once I get a chance to get started again, resume my life, there's no way they're going to go back. This could be very traumatic. Yes. And we know, and the question is, uh, it will be very difficult once we ease restrictions to go back to those restrictions. And, and I'm sorry? Yes. And I, you know, I, I certainly uh, agree with you. Um, but what's important to know is that we are following trends. Um, and our trends are headed in a, a good direction. Uh, so that's uh, number one. The other thing that I think is important for people to realize, this is not like we're flipping a switch and saying it's time for everybody to go back to their lives as they knew them before COVID-19. And, and we tried to use that analogy, and uh, I think it's a fairly good analogy, rather than flipping a switch, we're taking a dimmer switch and we're just turning up the intensity uh, as we can uh, and as the numbers will uh, allow. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And, and that the reason we're doing that, because it, to your point, it will be difficult to go back to more restrictions and especially for our businesses. I mean, when we, you know, had this, uh, we have this business task force and, and what I've heard from a lot of them is please, please, please take this slowly because if you allow us to reopen and go back to close to where we were before and we have to reverse the direction, we, we're at risk of, of going out of business and never recovering. And so that's why we're trying to do this by using the data and doing it as slowly as we can, but also with the hope that um, when it's safe, uh, and that's what it's about. It's about patients, or not patients, but people's uh, health and well-being. Um, and it's, as soon as we can do that safely, we want people, we want businesses to reopen, to get back to our lives as we knew them prior to COVID-19. The next question is from Bill Atkinson of the Progress Index. The governor, as you know, Congressman McEachin is proposing tying future federal aid to state and local governments on to reinstating utility services, including delinquent customers. And we all know ground zero for that request is Petersburg and their running battle over the reestablishing the connections for the delinquent customers here. And while the FCC regulates the investor-owned water utilities such as Virginia American Water and Hopewell, they really have no say over the municipality-owned water utilities such as here in Petersburg and in Danville. My question is, if the McEachin caveat does get attached to the uh, to the legislation, my question is, what is your reaction to that? And do you think such a caveat would mean 
that the state would actually have to get more involved into a locality's business. The question is about utilities being disconnected, uh, uh, discontinued uh, from people's homes. And I think all of you, are, if you haven't, uh, need to see what happened in, in Petersburg when utilities, in particular water, uh, was cut off uh, from individuals. And so without getting into the details of, of how we uh, keep that from happening, it shouldn't happen. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we're asking people to use good hygiene, to wash their hands frequently. I mean, how can you do that uh, if you don't have running water in your house? So, so we as a society, whether it be Congress or the General Assembly, but we, we shouldn't allow that. We should find that, and I do, uh, as unacceptable, and we have intervened uh, on behalf of these individuals. Um, but uh, that should never happen to Virginians. It should never happen to Americans. And so we need to work together to make sure that it doesn't happen again. It's totally unacceptable. One of the frequent topics that have come up at these press briefings over the last two months is whether different parts of Virginia should be treated differently. Now, we heard that earlier in the first segment. Let's hear a little bit more about that in this question. Um, you said that different localities could request stricter restrictions. Yes. You. Have you received any specific detailed requests from localities in Northern Virginia? I know Richmond also has more cases in other parts of the state. Um, and at what point will we find out which restrictions you approved and what the rules are in different localities? Mel, I appreciate the question. The, the question is we have put this floor uh, of uh, restrictions as we move into uh, phase one. Um, and yes, we have had uh, daily and sometimes more times uh, than one in a day communication. And uh, my chief of staff, uh, Clark Mercer, has been part of those conversations as well. So I'm going to let him kind of review our discussions and, and where we are moving forward. Clark. Uh, thank you, Governor. And the question was about different areas of the state approaching phase one uh, differently. I want to be clear what that means and what that does not mean. The governor has articulated a set of rules and regulations that everyone from Abington to Alexandria will have to abide by to enter phase one. Uh, the question is when all areas of the Commonwealth enter phase one. And we have heard from Northern Virginia, uh, the Northern Virginia Regional Commission, which is a collection of governments, the counties, the towns, and the cities in Northern Virginia. We were on the phone earlier with the three largest counties in Northern Virginia, Prince William, Loudoun, and Fairfax, discussing whether they feel that Northern Virginia has met the six criteria that the governor went over as well as the rest of Virginia has. And when we look at Northern Virginia as a region, while they are looking good with those metrics, they are not looking as good at this point in time as the rest of Virginia. And we acknowledge that. And what we ask those regions, and I suspect those elected officials and managers are watching this press conference, to review what phase one is and what it is not. It's a very measured approach uh, that I think uh, is responsible. And to the earlier question, we want there to be a phase two and a phase three. In order for there to be a phase two and a phase three, you have to show progress in between each phase. So it's a very measured approach. But if those entities as a region uh, say, hey, you know, we would like to delay entering phase one by two weeks, for example, which would be May 29th, I think the governor would be open uh, to doing that. We also, the governor spoke with Mayor Bowser and Governor Hogan, and I'm in touch with their offices as well. And we've been in touch with the chiefs of staffs and governors in Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia 
in North Carolina and Delaware as well, trying to get a beat on what all these states are doing. But if Northern Virginia as a region wants to take this a little slower, they can. However, uh, I do not think the governor would support, and we're not encouraging one county to play by one set of rules. So allow 50% of inside dining and the county next to it only allow outdoor dining and the county next to that only allow takeout. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about when uh, a region, specifically Northern Virginia's, enters phase one. Uh, I believe the governor will be open to having that discussion over the weekend and would have an update for you early next week. But we did ask for those jurisdictions to take a look at what phase one is because it's, a, as the governor articulated, a very measured uh, walk into reopening. Thank you. We hear from every region and every jurisdiction, just about every business owner in the Commonwealth on a daily basis, hundreds of calls and emails. Um, you know, some jurisdictions have different take on COVID than others. Um, but as a region and speaking with one voice, I would say Northern Virginia has more or less coalesced in terms of wanting to move together as a region. And, and it, it's important that if a region decides to do that, that they do that, right? It's, you don't want Fairfax City to do one thing and the county that surrounds it, Fairfax, are doing another thing. So it's important that they act as a region. Richmond uh, has a number of diverse counties surrounding it, um, and usually they have a, a number of diverse opinions about how they should move forward on an issue. In terms of regions, we've heard from, from Northern Virginia. Thank you. Thanks. Governor Northam's press conferences usually end with one last monologue about what's happening at this particular time. I have usually been editing these out or at least editing these down for the podcast. Let's just go ahead and hear what the governor had to say on Friday, May 8th, 2020, shortly after concluding his press conference on the Forward Virginia plan. Well, in closing, I just wanted to offer a couple of thank yous first to you all in Virginia to, uh, for following our guidelines, for putting us where we are today, for helping to bend that curve, to help our hospital capacity where to be where it needs to be. Um, as I've said, uh, every time I've been in front of you, I know this has been difficult, and a lot of you have made tremendous sacrifices. And so on behalf of Virginia, I say thank you. We are in this together, and, and we'll get through this together. I, I also want to thank uh, our staff, uh, especially the uh, Secretary of Commerce and, and his uh, workers. Uh, they have just, as you might imagine, put a tremendous amount of work into this. There's been a tremendous amount of communication. Uh, as, as Clark just said, uh, yes, we do hear from a lot of different people uh, on, a, on a daily basis. So, uh, so I appreciate their work. Uh, but I also appreciate the businesses uh, for your understanding. I know there, as a business owner, there's nothing more than you wanting to get back to where you were prior to COVID-19. And so the input that we have received through the, the task group uh, has just been been tremendous. And, and so I, I thank you uh, for all uh, that you've done. And, and to finally to Virginians and who I would call the consumers, those of you that want to get back into the businesses, that, that want to go back into the barbershop or the, or the hardware store um, or, or wherever, start thinking about and maybe you already have what's going to take what 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 worries you how do you need to be reassured uh, what will make you comfortable uh, going back into that place of business that's that's what we need to hear as as we work through these guidelines as we work 
through turning that dimmer switch up just uh, as much as we can every day, every week. So, so if you will, that's your homework for the weekend. Uh, I hope that all of you have a, a safe and peaceful weekend, and we will look forward to being with you on Monday. Thank you all very much. That was Governor Ralph Northam at a press briefing on May 10th, 2020. More to come in the future. Now a quick quiz. What is the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission? Have you ever heard of it before? I'm going to assume you haven't and tell you it is a regional government agency that covers Albemarle, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson counties, as well as the city of Charlottesville. The commission consists of elected and appointed officials from throughout the region. I took the opportunity to be on their Zoom call this past Thursday, and I asked this question. The Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is something that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And my hope is that is in the future, meetings like this can help to really accentuate how important it is to think regionally and for all of the various governments to be able to come together to talk about issues that are facing them. And gosh, guys, we have, a, we have an issue right now, don't we, um, with this COVID-19 pandemic and how we're all responding to it. Now, the question I want to say, and I'm hoping I can actually kind of frame this for the roundtable, is I would love to hear later on in your discussion, uh, what are the various things that you're doing to boost either hold public comments? What are the best practices right now for holding public meetings, especially meetings like this one, which are not elect? I mean, you're all elected officials, but this is a different kind of body. But for each of you in your jurisdictions, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing for best practices to get information to people and to try to figure out ways we can increase community engagement going forward. Um, just the fact that I'm able to speak to you from home means that it has eliminated for me, someone who is paid to be at these meetings, um, finally the chance to speak to you. I think I've spoken maybe once before, if that. My point is, is that now more than ever, I think it's take this time to think about what we can think of regionally and what you all are doing on this Planning District Commission and how we can actually make services better for people going forward. We have a lot of uh, great ideas in this community, but sometimes they don't always get implemented because um, we don't talk to each other very well. And I'm just really hoping that in this time and that as we can get more people into these kinds of meetings, we can really think about how we can really bring the best of all of your expertise together uh, to try to figure out solutions that we need. That's it. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for May 10th, 2020. I'm Sean Tubbs, and what we're about to hear are segments from a meeting of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission from Thursday night. Now, as I just said, the TJPDC is a regional government that makes up of all sorts of uh, entities throughout the area. Their meetings are usually held at the Thomas Jefferson Planning District's headquarters on Water Street, but in this new era, we're all meeting on Zoom, which gives us opportunities potentially to listen in to meetings that we otherwise would have had to have gone to. Um, I don't know all of the voices who are speaking here, so not everybody is identified. However, let's just hear for a little bit what's happening uh, in some of our governments around the region. 
Here's Jesse Rutherford, a member of the Nelson County Board of Supervisors. I think one thing that we're all going to be wanting to talk about is how we as a region are going to be approaching the post-COVID situation. I mean, I want to support our local businesses, but I also think that we have to recognize local businesses are going to be a lot different on the other side of this. It's a very good point. What I'm saying, I mean, I, I know here in Nelson County, uh, we're having a lot of small businesses, especially restaurants, especially breweries, wineries and whatnot that are struggling and some are not coming back. And I think one topic that might be worth talking about as a region is, okay, culture just changed. Order businesses are changing. How do we as local governments adapt around that? And, and some of this is going to be irreversible. I, I really, uh, just from my perspective, I do not see things going right back to day one before COVID, you know, before C-Day, however you want to do it. But, you know, I, I think having a, a committee just to talk about what they're seeing and how this is going to impact, I think that would be more valuable. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments? Here's Charlottesville City Councilor Michael Payne. I would just add on to that. I know a conversation we've had in Charlottesville already is that the governor has presented sort of the outlines of the, the three phases for reopening. And then in his press conference yesterday, he, he mentioned that localities will be given uh, potentially some kind of authority to deviate from those phases in some ways. It remains to be seen what that looks like. But I just bring it up because um, it probably makes a lot more sense to think about um, how to handle those different phases of reopening to the extent possible at a regional level, just than, than you know, us alone and Charlottesville as a locality. That's a, a bigger thing. Appreciate that. I believe you said you'd be more restrictive if you wanted to. Has nobody said, uh, Mike? I think, I think that was his words. I mean, deviate meaning you could go above um, what the phases were. But I know, um, at least in Charlottesville, there was already pressure to think about um, – if we would want to 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 go above what he's ordering, and I just think you know thinking about that from a regional perspective probably makes sense. At the end of each TJPDC meeting is a roundtable where different people from the commission uh, will weigh in on what's happening in their community. The chair of the TJPDC is Dale Herring. He's a member of the Green County Board of Supervisors. Okay. The next is the roundtable discussion. What I'll do is I've got a list of commissioners who are here. I'll call you by name, and we'll start, if it's okay, with uh, Mr. Ned Galloway. Yeah, good evening. So, obviously, I think like many of the locations, we're dealing with the impacts budget-wise for the current fiscal year and then moving into um, how that's going to impact next year's budget. And um, our county executive has brought forward a good plan that the supervisors have been supporting and how we're going to be balanced this year and then how that carries over into next year and he's broken it into a 366 approach which kind of takes a look at the first three months since this had started and then we'll do another look and then go into the next six months and and um, approach it from that standpoint and all the supervisors were supportive um, we're still working through that we just had a public hearing last night um, and then uh, two work sessions we'll be back in another work session on monday um, just working through how we can get the budget all sorted out for us in our school division. And then to the point that was brought up in public comment about um, what uh, what we have been doing um, from a virtual meeting standpoint, I know Mr. Tubbs has been a participant in our public hearings. We've started doing virtual meetings. We've been trying to keep business moving as much as possible. So uh, 
good example is last night we had a um, we had a public hearing for a rezoning request and we had I think by the end of it we probably had 25 26 speakers who were able to participate in the public hearing uh, online or via phone and it seemed to go off with a success and we even had a couple chats that have come in through our public hearing so the plan and um, Albemarle is to continue, as we discussed last night, to uh, try to keep business moving um, via the virtual meetings as we can. And even last night at the end of the meeting, we found out that our viewership, if you would, or participation has increased. So when we've had our live meetings and live stream, we've had more folks uh, tuning in and listening in since this has started in the virtual meetings have been there than we have had others. So um, I would have been curious last night some of the speakers were obviously parents of young children. It was a child development center that was up, and I'd just be curious if they would have been able to participate if they had to come down to the county office building to do so, um, being that it was after 8 o'clock at night by the time we got to that item. So I think we're continuing. I think participation's been good, and um, we'll continue to see how it goes, and uh, um, I'm sure it'll inform what things look like as we come out of this. Uh, Donna Price? Well, um, Chair Galloway for the Albemarle County Board really just covered all of it. We seem to be bearing up pretty well under the, uh, the procedures that we're working under. And um, our commitment is to continue handling business as normally as we can in a very unusual situation. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Jesse Rutherford? Sir. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, you know, as we're looking at this whole scenario, uh, the Nelson County Board, we, as some of you are aware, we made some pretty radical uh, adjustments in our budget this year. Uh, we waived the first six months of personal property tax on, uh, as well as machinery and tools, with the exception of uh, manufactured housing, um, which is going to cost our budget probably upwards of, I think it's 2.4 million in waiving those, uh, those taxes for our constituents. Um, as we've approached the situation, it's a nightmare. Uh, and I think anybody who thinks it's not, you know, I think you better be thinking again, because as we're looking at this, we're seeing huge impacts in our, in our, uh, in our, uh, food and lodging, we're seeing huge impacts in, you know, just our local business, business community. I mean, we're watching brick and mortar shut down overnight and then finding out they can work from home, which is also, that's a great thing. Obviously, in here in Nelson, we have a, a great, when we're talking about broadband, I mean, we now have, are getting access to Firefly internet, getting a hundred megs of speed. So people are realistically operating from home now. And I know of uh, half a dozen people just in my district. And of course my constituency is very small who are now telecommuting from work and their bosses have said, you might be staying there forever. So um, I think it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting. We're keeping, we're postponing our budget as late as we can, just so that we can get a grasp of how things are looking. We've obviously applied for a lot of grants, um, and some of which have been compromised, whether that was because of corporations commitment or just the commitment of those grants. We're also realizing, as someone else said, um, that we're realizing how many meetings we can get done off of Zoom. Like seriously, and that's been almost a wonderful thing because we've been able to, at any time, everybody gets is able to hook up and then get business done as usual. And to get to the point of uh, the gentleman earlier in the public comments said, you know, when it comes to public comments in rural communities like mine, it's difficult 
um, honestly, it's almost it's almost next to impossible. Um, and we've in Nelson, we've opted for in-person meetings still. And it's not just because the constituency and having access to Internet or telecommunications to participate in that public comment. It's also board members who may not have a high speed enough Internet to do something virtually. So, you know, we're seeing barriers like that. Now, I'm grateful that, again, we're getting the cooperative internet here soon. And I'm grateful I got it about two weeks ago. So I got that just in time, but a lot of people don't. And how that's gonna change the world, who knows? So I, I also suggest that you guys look at your constituency and ask yourself what it is you can give some relief in terms of taxation. That is one thing I've, I've tried pushing around the, around the Commonwealth, so. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Dylan, Dylan Bishop. Yeah, thanks. Um, so as great as it is that, you know, county administration, the board has been able to set up this tax relief program. Unfortunately for us, that also means that our comprehensive plan update budget um, is off the table for now. So what we've decided to do as staff is, you know, step back and take a look at what can we do in the meantime so that we can cut back on cost and time later um, so we can wor start working through that. Um, as far as current operations, we've uh, in the planning department only got one public hearing item on hold. The planning commission hasn't met and we've been afforded that luxury uh, because of some leniency in our zoning ordinance on deadlines, um, as well as, as Jesse was saying, the projects just aren't happening right now. People are putting everything on hold. So we've been able to maintain most of our normal operations, but uh, so we're potentially planning commission may be meeting in June, but like all of you guys, we're just playing it by ear and seeing how it goes. The next voice is from Robert Babioke, the chair of the Louisa County Board of Supervisors. I'm pretty sure I pronounced his name wrong. Thank you. Uh We've, uh, mirroring most of the comments that have already been stated, uh, we've been uh, fortunate uh, to be able to continue the county uh, services in, in general, although uh, some of them have been slowed down. We issued a number of laptops to uh, uh, some of staff so they can work from home. We've been rotating uh, staff. Uh, we've closed our building, uh, admin building basically, but uh, on, on exception for different situations. But the meetings are going well, uh, and uh, the only caveat we had is we've we've got pretty good viewership, but we've had very poor, in my my estimation, very limited public part participation. And what that's done is cause us to postpone some decision on some items because we think that the the public deserves better, uh, and we just current situation is really inadequate for us to determine or get a good feel or give a fair uh, option for people to to uh, state their uh, opinions. Uh, we were able to hammer out and uh, and pass both the 2021 operational and CIP budgets. Uh, so that's done. Uh, we were uh, able to do that without a tax rate increase. So we're all happy about that. Um, Anyway, so far, <clears throat> we expect, uh, obviously, like everyone, some uh, decline in income, but we're kind of blessed in a way because the 10 major companies in our county uh, have not been really detrimentally affected. 
And I'm talking about Dominion and Walmart distribution and Walmart itself is going to gangbusters and Lowe's is. And so we're, we're not quite as affected as, as, as many other communities are. Um, the, uh, the, we're obviously trying uh, to do as best we can with the meetings and the way we're conducting it. And we'll do it until, you know, it changes. And we hope those changes will bring about a, a, a return back to more public, uh, more public discussion and, and opportunity. The next voice is from Lisa Green, a member of the Charlottesville Planning Commission for the past 10 years. Uh, I don't have much to add. The city of Charlottesville, we haven't had any planning commission meetings since uh, COVID. Uh, so we're still eagerly awaiting to potentially have our first one uh, maybe this month and potentially in, in, in uh, June. And so uh, I do know that the uh, committee is still meeting uh, for a comprehensive plan uh, to, to uh, hopefully complete that update. And so they are still meeting virtually. And so I'll leave the rest to uh, Mr. Payne. Thank you, Mr. Payne, Michael. Well, I, I guess like everyone else, um, our, our budget has taken a pretty big hit um, and the timeline for the budget has been uh, extended into June. Um, the process the city manager has come up with is to keep our funding level similar to fiscal year 20. Um, and then once this budget is passed, uh, they will be monitoring our revenues weekly and providing us with an update each month with the goal being if our revenue situation improves that we can go back through amendments and add things back into the budget once it's passed, should the revenue situation change. Um, I know a big concern for, for myself as I'm sure everyone else is just that um, thinking, you know, a year plus from now, what our impacts on revenue will be. And I'm, I'm pretty worried that, um, you know, even if we were in theory able to open up in June, that the amount of demand destruction, local businesses out of business, savings destroyed is going to have a continued negative effect on our revenues far beyond um, when any, you know, stay at home or quarantine orders are out of place. Obviously a huge thing will be whether UVA comes back uh, after the summer or if they delay beyond that. Um, you know, it's obviously a huge hit on meals tax as well as I think our biggest hit is in businesses and licenses fees. Um, in terms of public participation at meetings, like everyone else, we've been doing Zoom meetings. Um, you know, it has been interesting. It's definitely made me think about how in-person meetings have barriers of their own for participation. Um, you know, we've definitely gotten a little bit less public participation through um, Zoom meetings for our budget process so far. Um, one challenge has just been trying to get the word out on as many channels as possible. You know, we can do it through email and social media, but that is a really limited, you know, group of people who are going to see that. Um, I think the biggest limitation on public comment is honestly that people are just sort of so overwhelmed that a lot of people just don't have the energy to follow this stuff closely, even folks who, you know, usually do follow the, the local government very closely. Um, our communications director has also set up a weekly show on public access TV, Civil 360, where um, each week updates are provided from um, different people in local government about different things that local agencies are doing to respond to COVID-19 and providing regular updates. And that's got some pretty good viewership and I think has been an effective communication tool. Um, and we're meeting next week as a city council to discuss um, what exactly we want to happen with boards and commissions 
at this point, as Lisa mentioned, our planning commission has not started meeting again. Uh, really, none of our boards and commissions have been meeting. And I think that's going to be something really important for us to figure out, you know, what the scale of how we want our boards and commissions to operate. Um, and if they do operate, you know, it'll be like everyone else through Zoom. Um, I guess one last thing on, on um, public participation, um, you know, internet access is much less of a barrier here than I is, I'm sure, in some of the other counties. But there is still a divide here. Um, and something we've been trying to do is figure out, um, you know, with any of these Zoom meetings, you can call in by phone, obviously, but a lot of people who see the meetings online um, haven't been able to figure out what the number is and figure out how to participate via, via phone. So we're trying to think through is there any way to make that more front and center for folks who just want to call in, you know, maybe if they're watching on public access TV, they can easily call in, you know, at a public hearing or make a comment rather than needing to be on that Zoom call the whole time. The next comments are from Tony O'Brien. He's a member of the Fluvanna County Board of Supervisors. Uh, yeah. Um, well, we passed our budget uh, last two weeks ago, I guess, um, or a week ago. Uh, we were able to hold the budget at the uh, same rate as the previous year, um, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but we have an assessment coming up, so we baked some of that into the assessment. Um, and uh, we also had, you know, pretty healthy situation going into it. So it was a little bit of a surprise that we could keep the rate flat. Um, it was still a very tight budget. We had nothing in the CIP, uh, which, which I find disappointing because of course that's just deferring the problems uh, and, and or the needs. Uh, but that's what you have to do in a year like this. We are delaying payments until June 30th for property tax. So we haven't been able to offer the kind of relief, but we also aren't as affected as some of the other counties are because so much of our taxes come from uh, real estate taxes. Uh, so it's a one time that it's a benefit that we have a very um, undiversified tax base. We're gonna continue to monitor it. We're concerned about the impacts of, uh, of, uh, of the COVID and, and what, what, it's gonna, what it's gonna do in the long run. Uh, but for right now, we're, we're just paying close attention to what's going on with, uh, with Fluvanna in terms of you know, keeping our people safe. Uh, likewise, we've had Zoom meetings, uh, relatively small attendance. We have been able to have uh, public comment through the Zoom meetings, and that's worked okay, just as you guys did just a little bit earlier today. Um, but the participation hasn't been particularly high. Finally, we're going to hear from Dale Herring again. He's the chair of the Greene County Board of Supervisors. Um, just to go real quickly, in Greene, we are doing our meetings electronically. Uh, we've had two Board of Supervisors meetings, a school board meeting so far, uh, a commission, plan commission meeting electronically. Uh, for our public comments, uh, just to reiterate, we are taking emails at a certain time frame. Those emails are read as part of the public record. Uh, we also go through the actual uh, Zoom application and we give instructions on how to raise your hand if you are calling in or if you're doing a video participation. And so we try to allow people to speak and we just did our, our public hearing on our tax rate, which we did not increase. And from my viewpoint, it seemed like we had more input than prior. Uh, it seems like people are emailing are taking advantage of that option prior to the meeting. And it seems like there are more people are, are calling in or are taking advantage of electronic meetings. And that could decrease the next meeting. Of course, the tax rate is something that's very sensitive for a lot of people. 
And Jesse had mentioned the change in the business environment after this. There's going to be a huge change in the way we do a lot of things in the business environment, um, the educational environment. We have no idea what that's going to look like. Uh, public meetings, a lot is going to change after this is all said and done, when it's all said and done. Um, I'm hoping it's sooner versus later. Uh, I do feel that we have to be careful with our small businesses, especially if we suffer a, a major relapse. I don't think a lot of our businesses can go through a second phase of lost revenue. I think a lot of businesses in the area have done well to survive the way they have. They found creative ways. Um, of course, the restaurants will have, you know, take out to meet you at the car. We have one restaurant doing like a tailgate type service. And our businesses are being very creative to stay in business for right now. Uh, if we have a second wave where we have to shut down again, uh, that could be uh, devastating for all involved. So hopefully that won't happen. Uh, we did, you know, discuss during, I mean, the real estate tax or personal property tax or even a facility fee. For Greene County, we're unable to do the same relief that Nelson County did. This is the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for May 10th, 2020. I'm Sean Tubbs, and thanks for listening.